0: Hello, hello, welcome back to another episode of the Awakening Her podcast. My name is Talia Joy, and today we have such a beautiful topic and conversation amazing episode for you. So today I'm sitting down with Kim Mench, and she is an inter- intentional parenting coach. She's a mom of five, <laughs> let that sink in, and she's the author to a brand new book called Becoming Me While Raising You. This conversation is such a beautiful one, and I love Kim's approach. So being a mom of three, I got to ask her all sorts of questions that I've been wanting to talk to somebody about, including how to navigate the teen age years, how to navigate when, um, the kids and siblings are fighting and how to best support our kids as they're growing into the people that they are. We also talk about what intentional parenting in real life really means and how we really are just trying to do our best. But Kim gives us such amazing tips and real life examples of what she's used to change her life and her relationship with her children. And also what she uses with her clients. Kim also talks about her story of the struggle of her son who had substance abuse issues and struggles and how she supported him through that situation and where her son is today. There's so much packed into this episode. I can't even recap it all in the intro you're going to want to listen. You're going to want to take notes, definitely grab her book and check out Kim. I will put all her links in the show notes for her social media and her website. So you can check out everything that she has to offer. So without further ado, enjoy this beautiful episode on intentional parenting in real life with Kim Minch. code on manifestation, amplify your intuition, and play in the quantum. We are now besties. Let's do this. Hello, Kim. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited you're here today. Thanks for joining us.
1: I am just delighted to be here to have this conversation with you, Talia. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're so welcome. It's going to be amazing. I haven't had anyone on the podcast yet to talk about parenting or anything to do with our connection with our children and how to, you know, be a, a great parent and still be a seeker and developing ourselves and all of that. There's so much in here. So I'm really, really excited that you're here. A lot of my audience are parents and I know that we're just going to all benefit so much from what you're going to share today.
1: I'm so excited to be the first person that you're having talk about this because there's so much to talk about.
0: <laughs> yeah, so let's let's dive in. Can you share with us a little bit about who you are and what you do, what you're pas- passionate about?
1: Sure, I will do that. I am the mother of five kids who range in age from 15 to 33 at this point. And I had a very um, upper middle class upbringing in the Midwest. I went to private school, had great family vacations, had good connection with my parents when I was young. And then as I proceeded through my teen years, I still had a reasonably good connection with my mom but not so great with my dad. Um, I actually became a mom for the first time at the age of 18. And so I had gotten my freshman year in college partway done and found out I was pregnant. And my parents were very unhappy about that, obviously, especially my dad, who basically three quarters of the way into my pregnancy gave me the ultimatum of, you know, if you don't get this child up for adoption, you need to leave our family home if you intend to raise this child. And I knew nothing about how I would do that, but for months I thought about it and it really, it tore me up because I totally felt as if I was supposed to be this child's mother, you know, day in, day out. And the thought of him calling him or her calling someone else's mother just really tore me up. So bottom line, I had a nanny job at the end of my pregnancy. And the woman that I nannied for told me about welfare. I had no idea, like no clue that that even existed. And so as a nine month pregnant, 18 year old mother, I went into the city of Milwaukee. I live, my home state is Wisconsin. So I went into downtown into the city into a not very nice area to apply for welfare. And I moved out of my family's home on $360 in food stamps a month. So I got this teeny tiny apartment across town. I had no car. I, uh, my mom was very, I will say my mom was very helpful. She felt she needed to stand with my dad in terms of the decision made to have me leave home. However, she did help me set up my little apartment and she gave me all of her old dishes and things. So I started out like she got new stuff and I got, you know, (laughs) hand me downs, but I didn't care. So uh, I was on welfare for about a year. And the only skill I had really picked up in high school and in early college was typing. So I ended up finding a secretarial job. And once again, my mom helped me. She babysat so that I could go to work because I never would have been able to get off the welfare system if, if, I, if I didn't have that help. Um, so I little by little, I gained skills and uh, I... I was dating my son's husband, so I ended up having a boy, and my son's husband and I stayed together for about the first three years of his life. And it was an emotionally abusive relationship that turned to be physically abusive at one point, and that was kind of my boundary. So once that happened, I knew I had to get out of the relationship. It was just a little bit difficult for me to do that, as anyone who's been in an abusive relationship would know. Um, it took me some time and definitely some energy But we did split up. And then, of course, our son has to had to go between our two very different homes for the rest of his childhood. And I shortly thereafter started dating my husband and we got married and had four kids together. So, um, like I said, that's where the, the kids came from. And my oldest, um, so I have four boys and a girl, and they're 33, 27, 23, 18, and my daughter's almost 16. Um, so things for things for my son were difficult, as I said, going between these two very different homes. And by very different, I mean His dad ended up getting married, but they never had children. And they very much were very clear and very vocal about never wanting to have any more children. Our house, of course, I got married and had four other kids, and it was a very busy place. And I I would definitely tell you that my son, Nick, and I had a very good relationship, I felt, during his childhood and teen years he did struggle with some depression and anxiety, and I think, again, as part, part of a result of going in between these two different places all the time, and maybe never feeling like he fully belonged in either place, um, as I look back on it. Um, he, he spoke to me, you know, during high school, we talk about dating, we talk about things. We did have really good conversations, but of course, Children only reveal to you what they really want you to know, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody does, um, whether it's our kids or our spouse or whatever. So um, about the time that my son Nick graduated from high school, he decided that we had too many rules at our house and he was going to live at his dad's. And we had suspected a little bit on and off that he was taking alcohol from the cabinet, my husband more so than I, but I was the one that always confronted my son because I was his mother. So I asked him, you know, the three or four times over his high school years, if he had taken alcohol, the answer was always no. And I believed him because we had what I felt was a really good trusted relationship. So at 18, when my husband finally confronted him, he decided he'd had enough, too many rules and he was going to live with his dad which of course made me very, um, very sad. Shortly after that, my husband got a job in Texas, which is where we live. So uh, Nick was graduated high school, started community college, had a job, had a girlfriend, and there was really no reason or anyone he knew in Texas. So he stayed in Wisconsin. And about a year after we were in Texas, I got what I call my parenting wake up call in May of 2008 he called from Wisconsin to tell me that he had lost the last three days of his life to an alcohol binge and he was recovering. It wasn't the first time and he really needed help. So I will say that there were signs and that parental denial can be incredibly um, strong at times, but that phone call was really my catalyst to begin really opening my eyes as to what was going on with him, what my parent, how my parenting was contributing because it was, and I needed to acknowledge that. And then it started me on a personal journey, quite frankly, of looking and becoming more aware of how I was parented because how I was parented was very much the way that I was parenting my children. And on a side note, I truly believe our children are coming into this world, A, more sensitive, and B, their behaviors, the rise in anxiety, depression, and suicidality that we're seeing is a screaming cry for help that we need to evolve the way that we are parenting them to want of with them rather than over them. And, and while I, I know I had good conversation with Nick and I know I respected him, I think more than my parents did even while he was a teenager I've learned so much since that time about the parent-child relationship specific to adolescence and how important it is that we listen more than we speak and that we listen to understand, which doesn't mean agreement. Mm -hmm. So uh, through a series of really intense events over the next couple of years, Um, Nick progressively went through medical detox a couple of times. He ended up with a DUI. He ended up in um, outpatient treatment here in Texas and then inpatient here in Texas. And it was about two and a half years of major downward spiral that really catapulted um, in February of 2010 when his dad passed away from alcohol use. So he basically, and, and Nick had spent months prior to that declining his phone calls because he was trying so hard to stay sober. And what I didn't realize is when I had gotten myself out of the relationship with his dad, I didn't get him out. Mm-hmm. And that emotional and physical abuse that he was using on me, that I never saw him use on our son when we were together, was then put on to him. And he was fiercely loyal to his dad till the end, and it devastated him when he found out his dad had passed away so that, you know, he was doing okay and then that happened and then it really spiraled for a couple of months and to a point where he was in jail on a couple different occasions and I did not bail him out. And to this day, I believe he would agree that that was the turning point for him. That my not, I mean, I honest to God felt he was safer from himself and from other people in jail. And I wasn't about to help him, you know, get, get out, even if he didn't remember what he had done to get get into jail. So it was probably, that was probably one of the hardest issues I've ever faced as a mother, you know, was your son crying on the phone and begging you to, You know to release him and just not 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 doing that for his own sake um so I I I mean I'm I'm blessed to say I'm going to fast forward just a little bit I'm blessed to say that Nick is now he celebrated 10 years of sobriety in May of 2020 so we're coming up on 11 years he is married and um has many a rescued animal and lives lives in Austin, which he probably should have been born there because now he's tattooed, pierced. You know, he's, he looks like he was born there, um, but he, he's doing well. But to go back, that whole intense experience with him caused me to start thinking really more, much more again, about the way I was parenting And I wanted to support and encourage Nick during this critical time in his life without enabling him. Mm. Um, I believe going back to my own youth, when I struggled with my teen pregnancy, I believe my parents did the best they could with what they knew and that my dad truly, while he was uh, disappointed, frustrated, embarrassed that I was pregnant, out of love, he truly felt that I would not be ready to be a mother at 18. So I I believe all of that came from the best of intentions. However, I wanted to do better with my own child in this age time, time period. It's weird that it happened. Maybe it's not weird that it happened about the same period of time in his life. Not the same thing, obviously, but you know, to support him, how navigating how to support and encourage him without enabling him was a study in listening to my intuition and getting very quiet and beginning to really concentrate on what I was putting into my life in terms of the people that I was hanging around with, the books I was reading, the t- TV shows or the movies that I would go to. Um, just everything I, I, I'm working on the food at this point, we're, we're many years into this journey and now I'm finally working on trying to be more mindful of the food I'm eating. (laughs) Um, however, like I said, it, it was a real wake up call and an awakening it, but it went from just being a situation to wanting to evolve my whole life and not only wanting to evolve my whole life but wanting to help other people do the same. Um, I had, I, after Nick, we got him into some kind of facility. I had every intention of becoming a licensed chemical dependency counselor for teenagers. I thought that was my calling. So I went back to school. I got a degree in psychology. I passed the Texas state exam. I started on my 4,000 internship hours and about 1,000 hours into it. I decided working with teenagers who didn't think they had a problem was not what I wanted to do. Um, However, I really loved educating and supporting and encouraging the parents whose kids were in treatment. But I wanted to help people before they were in a crisis situation. So I, I actually about that time heard about parent coaching and didn't even know that something like that existed. But I looked into it and then got certified in it and now work in the field of coaching specifically mothers of adolescents. So kids ages 10 to 25. And I work with women who want to work on themselves in order to have a healthier, stronger connection with their children. Um, And... I have chosen specifically this population because I know, first of all, I'm still immersed in it with my own two youngest kids. But also I think that there's so many parents that A, feel isolated and B, white knuckle their way through their children's adolescence. And I don't think it needs to be that. I just think we need to relook at how we are raising specifically in my case, our, our kids through adolescence and coming together with them again rather than parenting over them
0: that is amazing i I just want to acknowledge, first of all, what you've been through. Thank you for sharing it. And I know it's part of your story and, you know, it's in the past, quote unquote, but it that's I can't imagine what that would be like. And I was really feeling you as you're saying like a phone call where they're begging you to help and your entire life. You're here to help your children. You're here to lift them up. You're here to. Yeah, there's times you bail them out where you pick up the toddler who's fallen or you help the kid tie their shoes like you're you want to help them you your heart wants to help them but acknowledging that you actually felt helping him was not bailing him out helping him like you said he's safer where he was in that moment I just want to acknowledge that choice it must have been so hard but I am so grateful (laughs) that you did that because it is a breakdown that led to a breakthrough it was a probably the most intense moment of your life that led to you being able to do incredible work for all of us so i just really want to acknowledge you for that i can't even imagine can't mm-hmm. even imagine
1: thank yeah. you it was like i said i've i've seen some difficult moments as a mom but i think that those phone calls and that decision were probably the most challenging right we deeply love our children we don't want them to feel hurt. And and the worst part is when you know your child is, is torturing themselves with Mm -hmm. whether it's drugs or drinking copious amounts of alcohol to blurt out, you know, their pain and their, or their anxiety or whatever, you know, is, is going on for them. You know, I tried so hard as a parent to give him a, a life that, you know, would make him happy And that's what we want, right, as parents, is to make our kids happy. But the reality is not all of life is happy. And there was a really dark moment in in his couple year time period where basically I would appear, you know, to my kids and to my husband all day long as if things were okay. You know, we you know, Nick wasn't right under in our house. So the kids really didn't see what was going on. Mom would disappear here and there and get on a plane and go to Wisconsin and take care of things, but they didn't really know what was going on. And it was only after my husband would be softly snoring at night that I would let go of my emotions and cry. And I remember one night in particular, one morning in particular, I woke up and it wasn't that I had a dream. It was a peaceful knowing that I didn't know what Nick's journey was about here and what he was supposed to, what he was learning, what he was meant to evolve through, and that all I could do was encourage and support him the best I could along the way. And Mm -hmm. it was so liberating and freeing, quite frankly. For me, I, I, I had given up any illusion of control prior to that. Um, I mean, I knew I didn't have any control over the situation, but I was racking my brain as any mother would, you know, how can I, how can I stop this? How can I stop this child from hurting himself? How can I get him to love himself enough to get treatment? And, you know, just came to this awareness that I didn't know why he was here. I didn't know what his journey was about. And perhaps I needed to just you know, again, do the best I could not to enable it to go on. And that had everything to do with what I help moms do, tune into our own intuition, tune into all, you know, get past all the noise because there's so much noise in the world. There's, we always think the answer is out here and that's not the case. We just have to learn to be quiet and listen to ourselves. And then I'm I'm going to share this quote that that um, came to me a couple of years ago and I think it's so deep and may help some of your listeners and that's our children come through us not for us except for the lessons they reflect to us during their journey in an effort to grow us up along the way. Mm. I truly believe that that parenthood is the I don't know, a, a better opportunity to grow yourself up than through being a parent.
0: Wow, that's so beautifully said. And I completely agree. I don't know if I thought that before I had kids, but being now in it for almost 11 years, my oldest is 11 or almost 11, um, grow us up, yeah, I was really struggling when I decided to become a parent, really struggling with myself. I had an eating disorder. I was, you know, not healthy um, as far as how I was treating myself, how I was talking to myself, what I thought of myself. It was all in my, you know, it was just not a good time but through and my kids were such a big part of that I had two girls first and it was it kept on you know I kept on thinking what am I going to be teaching them not even by what I'm saying but how I'm being how I'm acting my body language how I feel about myself and it was you know series of wake-up calls and it it wasn't pretty there was lots of them but it was this like they were growing me up like it was I heard this you know kind of like grow up Talia like this is not being harsh, but being like, what do you want to be? What kind of parent do you want to be? What kind of helper do you want to be along this path? And I mean, the lessons are endless. And I, yeah, I just really, I really agree with you. Um, I'm really interested on you choosing to parent or parent coach help mothers through adolescence. And I think that that is so cool because having my oldest girl, you know, entering this time right now, um, there's a lot of it that they become almost a mystery to us because the little girl we knew or boy is changing their preferences change their moods change their what's important to them is changing their language change their body language their hygiene change like everything and sometimes we find ourselves going like I used to feel like I kind of knew how to parent you at some point and now Mm -hmm. like I don't even know how to deal with this and so there's so much in there I'd love to hear a little bit more about why you choose adolescence also bringing in that aspect you said about, I don't know why my son's here, like what his journey is about. I just need to support him. I feel like that adolescence part is that sort of the beginning of the true blossoming of what could be their soul's purpose or the, you know, the, the imprint they're meant to make in the world. So can you just talk about that a little bit?
1: So much to say, <laughs> you might yeah. have to bring me in a little bit or help me focus because I could go all over with this. The reason that I choose to work specifically with mothers of adolescents is like I said, I'm still in the process of adolescence with, you know, adolescence goes from about age 10 to the mid twenties. So three of my kids are still within that range. I feel like it's very helpful for me to be in the process of this with my kids while and directing my help to those people, specifically mothers, because I believe mothers are the emotional barometers in their families. And when moms are working on themselves, when they are um, honing their intuition and um, really you know, quieting the outside noise and paying attention to who this child is developing in front of them. And yes, that goes through so many changes. I mean, the hair color and the, you know, the behavior changes and all of this. And this is, this is, this is a beautiful stage of life for our kids. And it gets really um, bad press in in our culture and in the media. And I, I just think it's such a gift to be able to to, I don't want to say quell the anxiety, but there's a lot of anxiety that goes on with parenting our kids through all these changes that are going on for them. And if we can get quiet and if we can work on our own emotional attunement, we will then be available to them. And our children will not come to us with their challenges, with their questions, with their dilemmas and anxieties. If they can feel if first of all, if they hear us and and they just hear that we're, we've got a hundred other things going on, or if they see it, but more than that, you can be in the same room with someone. And we all know this, and you just get a feeling from them about whether or not they're really present to you or not. And I do think the one thing that we need that our best defense, if I can say this, our best defense against drug use, alcohol use, our children becoming promiscuous, what all of those things is the connection and the relationship that we have with them, that they are seen for who they are, Mm. and heard for who they are, and not who we want or need them to be, which doesn't mean, hey, you know, become their friend, or it doesn't mean have no rules. It means where you can give your children choice, give them choice to try things, to be who they're meant to be, to you know, stop doing something whether it's a sport or a musical instrument. To you know, um, to express themselves wherever you can, give them choice, but then have a few non-negotiables that you know for that that provide structure you know, and we can, we can go into that, but I think I might be going off track. So I don't want to do that. Um, but I love working with moms again, because I truly believe that, and, and dads play a vital role in their kids' lives. And and I do work with dads, but I typically market to moms because I totally believe that they are the ripples. They are the calm in the storm of the family. Mm-hmm. And when we are working, you know, I've seen it in my own life and in the the lives of the women that I have Coached over the years. Um, I just think moms are key.
0: Mm-hmm. And also, that's what you are. You can relate best to being a mom. Yeah. But I so agree with you, is like, like you said, we all are, you know, the dad or the partners. Both parents are the pillars. Um, they're both equally important, but there is a connection. I mean, we did most of us carry them in our body, or we have that, you know, deeper connection, mother's intuition, even if you didn't carry your child, mother's intuition is a very strong, very real thing. Mm -hmm. And I love that you said that earlier about how we're always looking for solutions outside, but inside is, is the answer. And I teach intuitive development. That's like my language. That's my truth. I a hundred percent agree, but I think it's cool to think about that with parenting because, Mm -hmm. you know, in all the different stages, there are so many, ways you can do things right and and especially the the things that we look at, like either problems or things we need to help them figure out, like say potty training, sleeping through the night, or if they're having anxiety, like the times when we can step in and help them and teach them. There's so many ways to do things. And I find now being on my third, um, my youngest is a year and a half. So I'm back into diapers and I'm back into all that. <laughs> whereas my oldest is, you know, almost 11. So there's, I've been doing this a bit. There's a little bit of a gap there. Um, <laughs> and I just look at it like, I have to do what's best for me. We're looking right now specifically at like helping him to sleep through the night and not wake up 700 times. And, you know, every every method under the sun, right? You can let them cry it out and scream for hours. You can bring them in the bed. You can, you know, whatever. Some people suggest a pacifier. Some people get them to have a stuffy. Like it comes back to what do I feel my son needs? We need as a unit, as a family. And um, of course, that's just one example, but I really do believe that, that we do know better than other people. There's processes and tools for sure. We can get that support, but it's going to come back to what do you feel is best for your child and for your family?
1: Right. And if you're not paying attention, if you're not like, I have a um, very vibrant or very um, uh, meditation, life, that is something very, very non-negotiable in, you know, I get up in the morning and I meditate and I set an intention for my day. Um, And this is what I coach women on as well. Like I, I just truly believe that we need to have some quiet time. The last, if, if, you know, if the last year has not taught us anything else, it's how important it is to be in the here and now Mm -hmm. and enjoying the moment as opposed to um, future tripping, whether it be about our kids or our finances or whatever. I mean, I just think that this last year has been just a really, Screaming example of the importance of you know quietness within yourself and taking time to reconnect um, so that you can get some of the some of the answers that you seek about whatever situation is going on in your home or in your relationships.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely. That presentness, like you said, you can just feel when someone's present or not. And um, just yesterday, actually, my son went down for a nap or went to bed. And my husband and my other kid were out. And I just had a chance to be with my 11 year old. And I was like tidying. And she kind of goes like, mom, when you're done tidying, can you just like be with me? And I like heard these words coming out of my mouth. I was like, well, I'm right here. Like, what do you want to talk about? And she's like, well, I don't know. And she kind of went over the piano and she's playing. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm right here. I'm just tidying up. You know, there's lots to do. And then I had this, I I heard that. I was like, Wait a minute, she wants all of me. She doesn't want the me that's running around the kitchen that'll soon be doing dishes or whatever. So I sat down with her on the couch. and just our conversation, she was so close and she was just like staring at me and she's preteen, right? coming up on that. So she doesn't always want that anymore. And so it was just so nice that's and it
1: when you can get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I had this moment of like, if I didn't choose to be present right now, I was still in the room with her. I could justify it all day. Like what, you know, I'm busy, but that connection, that was so powerful to just have that moment together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And our kids, they want that even as teenagers, I would say, you know, our kids, you get you, the eye rolls begin potentially. I know I've had some of those. Day, uh-huh. or, um, maybe even a door slamming, just a kid who doesn't want to participate in family things the way they used to. I mean, these, I think one of the things that helps us determine what are red flags and what are just normal teen behavior helps when, first of all, we educate ourselves on this stage of development. That's another thing that I really do with parents is get into a little bit of Dan Siegel and how the brain develops during adolescence, because we know so much more than, I mean, I'm 52. We need so we know so much more now than my parents ever knew, you know, about my growing brain. And I, not that we need to get all technical about it, but just to know kind of what's going on for our kids and why they might be behaving the way they are and what to look for that maybe, you know, is a red flag and what is just, kids becoming more independent and having opinions. Um, the other thing that has been really interesting to watch as I've parented this way for the last, while well, I really started on this whole conscious parenting journey when my youngest two were two and four. And at this point they're almost 16 and 18. Um, but they've had so many opinions over the last year, politics and religion and all of these things. And they feel comfortable discussing these things with me because I've always been in a space of A, not freaking out and B, non-judgment. You know, I want, um, and I can't say my husband is the same. My husband is not really the same. So you can have two parents in a home that, you know, parent very differently, obviously. Uh, And that happens to most of most of the clients, I, I don't think I've ever worked with a couple, but they have definitely all had the same, you know, we're on the same page about everything. Mm-hmm. Some couples are more so than others. Um, but I think that the reason my kids feel that they can speak out on their very vastly different opinions about many things is because I've always held space for their opinions, or their thoughts, and ask them to question, you know, question them about the way they feel about things, as opposed to always asking how they think about something. You know, I want my boys, I want, um, and I say that egoically, I want my boys, like, right, they're, we're so attached to them. I would love the boys that have come through me to have more emotional ability to identify and share their feelings. Um, And that comes from modeling that and talking about their feelings with them, which is something in previous generations we haven't always gotten.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think our parents, our grandparents generation, like if you were to ask them in general, how often did you talk about your feelings, you know? You know it was not the focus and um, I think that that's amazing I think that's great I've I do that as well it's like how does that make you feel or if they're trying to make a decision I'll be like well how does it feel to do this or how does it feel to do that like use your feelings as a navigation. And like, I trust, I'll say to them all the time, like I trust in your decision. I trust in your call, you know, your judgment call. Even if it's food where I'm like, you know, you can eat all of this now, or you can save half now and have half later. Like it's up to you. I trust you. And I'll just like walk away to almost show them. Like, I don't want them to eat it all right now. And I want (laughs) to say you better brush your teeth, but I just like walk away. I'm like, be cool, mom, be cool. Just show them you trust them. Right. Um, So I would love to talk about um how you believe that our children how you said they come through us through mm-hmm. us not, not for, for us. us
1: not yeah for us. Right. and
0: the whole choosing your parents process and everything yeah. to do with that i'd love to dive into that
1: i i believe and when i look at my own life and i look at the children that have come through me i believe that we do choose to some degree the parents that we have. Um, I'm going to give you an example. I think that my soul has asked for the lesson of, maybe not the lesson, the evolvement through fear of being heard or not feeling deserving of being heard to a place where I very much believe that I am worthy of being heard give you an example. This is actually in my book. It's actually the first story in my book that I told you I'm coming out with. Um, And that is when I was six years old, I, we had a neighbor that had a swing set and my mom was out shopping for the evening and my dad was in charge of us. And a neighbor came over and started, um, they were talking. And so my four-year-old brother and myself wanted to go over to the swing set. So we did that. And my two-year-old brother followed along with us. So four-year-old and six-year-old, on the swing set swinging swinging we were having a competition who could go the highest and my littlest brother was in the sandbox well he decided he wanted to swing too so he came towards the swing and i was going really high and i could tell i knew that something was going to happen and i was very you know i was i was like yelling at him to to stop to not come in front of the swing and i wasn't fast enough to stop and i hit him going full force and then came back over him. And I mean, I was just sick about this because I love, of course, love my brothers and um, my brother was hurt. And so my dad, you know, oh crap, you know, ran over and my brother was crying and whatnot. So he yelled at me about, you know, about hurting him, about, about not swinging, you know, being more careful on the swing. And I was trying to explain my side of the story to him. And of course he was comforting my brother and basically just told me to go to my room. And so I went to my room and I was very upset because I was very worried about my brother. And, um, a little while later he came in and, you know, I tried again to tell him my side of the story and he didn't want to hear any part of it. And, that was when I took on the belief that I was not worth being heard and that what I had to say didn't matter. So that played out over and over and over again in my life for many years in my marriage, in my parenting at times, um, until I, like I've said, I have really gained an awareness of limiting beliefs and have worked hard on this the last couple years of my life to a place where, I'm on your podcast today and I'm sharing this message and this important work that I think is vital for parents now. Um, So I totally believe I am worthy of being heard, but it's taken me some awareness and some working through that belief about myself that, again, you know, that was was like an, I don't wanna say it was an everyday occurrence, but I did not have a traumatic childhood. Like these things, these beliefs that we take on about ourselves, don't have to come from deep trauma. They can come through like, you know, and my dad, I'm sure probably looking back was upset because he maybe wasn't paying quite as much of attention as he should have. And I took the brunt of that, you know? Um, So I think though that my evolution of, again, taking on a belief and needing to grow through to a place where I feel deserving of being heard was part of my soul's evolution. Mm-hmm. And that particular incident illustrates how choosing my parent, because I do believe that that the lessons that I wanted to evolve through in this lifetime continue to come. And they were instrumental for much of much of that. Um, in the same way, I would say that so I have a I have a tattoo on my left hip and it's five words and footprints in between. And the words are faith, calm, courage, patience, and grace. And each of those words represents what I feel each of my children have taught me about life. Faith very much in myself and in the bigger picture of life with my son, Nick. Um, Whether that be his birth at the age of 18 into my life or his addiction at the age of 20 in his life. Um faith is, you know, faith, calm, courage, patience, and grace, I believe are the five things that are s- like they're a vital part of my everyday life and what I think every parent needs to have um, in their life. So it's it's this tattoo and the footprints are really symbolic of the journey message of parenting. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, I believe that. And I believe also just to go on that, um, same thing. Uh, I grew up, I grew up Catholic and I've had a a shift out of organized religion and in fully into just spirituality. And I, I believe that we continue to come back through this, this thing called life Mm -hmm. many times over. And I can't describe that. Why I know that other than just say, I just know, like, I've I feel as if I have experienced this and not this exact same way, but that I it's just a knowing in my heart, like we 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 keep doing this and we keep evolving.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the I first think time that I've are... said that
1: out loud. I'll just say that to Leah.
0: <laughs> what what was that? Sorry?
1: And that's the first time I've said that out loud in a podcast. So I'll
0: <laughs> nice. Well thank you. Usually
1: well, thank a little bit are... more conservative, but anyway, I understand that you're Your listeners are always looking to grow awareness and whatnot. And I just feel called to say that right now.
0: Yeah. And I do think that like, no matter what your beliefs are about all of it, you know, obviously we teach each other so much. And when you're um, an aware person, a seeker, a person of higher consciousness, meaning that you want to witness your own life, you want to see who you are being and what you're learning and you're really into that, it is Amazing to look at and see what did this person teach me? What did this person bring into my life? And I 100% agree or I believe too that we chose chose our parents and I also believe that we have soul families. Um, I am starting to see this more in some of the, the sessions I'm doing with people and readings that we have these clusters of of families like a soul family and we can come back many times with them and sometimes you know your son may have been your father may have been your sister may have been in other lifetimes I think it's neat to even just think about that and see you know just realizing there's more they're here for more than just this life and you give them a name and you teach them this and then you know it's like it's just so much bigger Mm -hmm. um and I can see too when I look back a hundred percent why I chose my parents. And it's not that it was all rosy. It's that it made me exactly who I was meant to be. Like, I feel like I know that in every bone of my body. My mom was very spiritual. She's a Reiki master. She taught me Reiki when I was young. Uh, My parents split up. My dad's very like light and easy. And we were like best friends, such a close relationship with him. And I didn't, I'm not that close. I'm not as close. It's been up and down with my mom, but I can see her influence in my life. I can see my dad's influence and I can see now how I kind of take the best of both. And that really has me shine and like be, it's like the best of both and then bring forward who I truly am. And it's Mm -hmm. like that there is the fullest expression. So I really think that that's neat because it doesn't mean that you, that everything was great and that You know, your parents had these amazing personalities because some people have been through awful upbringings and traumatic situations. But it is neat to think about, well, what did that teach me and how did their personality teach me, even if I hated it or resisted it or didn't like it at the time? When you become more aware, you're like, huh, that really had me find self-love because I didn't get that love from my parents or that really had me self-reliance because my parents weren't around. Like there's, you know, there's things that we can extract from that totally. Yes,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: yeah. So what do you think then? I'd love to talk a little bit about siblings, may or may not completely be a personal question here. Um, <laughs> my, and, and sort of the interactions that they have. So I'll just be, I'll just lay it out here and I'd love to hear your opinions. So my two girls are, um, 11 and my, um, youngest girl is seven and they sometimes absolutely butt heads constantly all day. It's like that type of thing. Other times they're like best friends, they're playing, they're giggling, all that stuff. I really, um, like to think of this stuff with them. Why are they in each other's lives? Why did they choose to be siblings and try to stay out of the damage control out of the trying to always figure it out for them because they always want someone to be wrong or like, you know, mom, tell us, you know, who's wrong here. And I really try to back out, back out, back out. So I'd love to hear your take on dealing with managing, not even that's our job, but you know what I mean? Like siblings and their interactions with each other. Maybe if they really don't get along or they really do get along, it's like anything about siblings would be really interesting.
1: Okay. So I'm going to go into, I have two younger brothers and I don't know if I, I mean, we pretty much got along while we grew up. I don't have any significant story there. I'm going to share with you a little bit about my perspective on my five kids because they are incredibly different human beings. Uh, well, you know, I don't know why I was under some delusion that my kids would kind of be the same. We all know they have the same personalities. I don't know what made me think that, but that clearly isn't the case. It never has been just like you have to parent each child individually they all have right their own their own temperaments and everything else so as I mentioned um Nick being the oldest he um tattooed pierced plays music works on IT my second son who is 27 is um he's in his third year to become a Catholic priest so they're Vastly different, right? Mm -hmm. Then, third son is graduated college and works in computers, but he's a total free spirit. And then, of course, the younger two, like I said earlier, have very differing opinions. All of these kids, and this has been the most interesting year for me to really watch them because I know on the surface they're different, they've chosen different career paths and whatnot. But they also, when it comes to religion, when it comes to politics, when it comes to what's right and what's wrong, they, and, and they just have these vastly different viewpoints. But I think the most beautiful thing as a parent, I think I think part of why this has happened with them, the beautiful thing about them is that they are open to each other's points of view and not having to shove their thoughts and feelings and opinions down the other person's throat. Mm -hmm. They're willing to listen, they're open-minded. And I think if we can, you know, I think in part that comes from modeling. I think that, you know, um, I am definitely more of an observer of things and listening and asking and seeking to understand where someone's coming from. Whether or not I agree with them doesn't make a difference. It's it's about, and I've tried to get them to understand that same concept. And as these kids have grown into adulthood and they spend time together, they've had the ability to have vastly different opinions and thoughts about things and respect them without having to change somebody's mind. Okay, I think that's, I think as a parent, what, when you look at your daughters, and my kids fought when they were little, I mean, you know, I think that is in part, unless there's some, I think the beautiful thing is for you to focus on the times that they are getting along well. And to I think, I love that you give them the opportunity to work through their challenges and not always have to fix it for them but to be there to support them in that all of these things, I think help us show our kids that we can have different thoughts, opinions, career choices, lifestyles, and yet get along.
0: Mm -hmm. I think if I had to
1: like, you know, and, and, and again, it comes down to asking yourself, taking when your kids are really at it with each other and you're like have had it um you know how can i what can i learn here and i just need to take a breath because sometimes i think that conditioning from previous generations of parenting where it's like we got to nip this in the bud we got to stop this right now we got to you know if i don't stop this right now it's going to escalate and yada 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 and i don't think that that is the case with parenting i think it's okay to take a break, to be able to, um, you know, if one kid's hurting the other kid, then obviously you need to separate them as, you know, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. we need to do, right? But to help them talk through what their differences are, I think is also um, really important. You know, I feel like having, having each of them when they're calm or when they're not, when they're not so much in their emotional brain, but they're calm enough that they're in the logical brain to say, I feel however they feel when you describe what they're doing, you know, what that person has done to them, because I would like you to like this four-step process to help them learn how to talk through their challenges with, and seven and 11 is not too, I mean, seven, I don't think is too young, to do that. You may have to prompt a little bit more, but it's a perfect age to begin that process.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. I, I do. I do relate to that. I try to have them understand because often there's what I witness and this is in adults too, but it's miscommunication almost all the time. Someone thought that someone was going to do this, so then they reacted and then the other, and it's just almost like, let's back up and like, what actually happened here? Well, I did this and why did you do it? And then they kind of go like, oh, it's like, see, she wasn't doing that to take your thing. She was doing that to, you know, give it to you or whatever. Um, And so that does, a lot of times it can be ironed out just by allowing them to speak what they were feeling and often what their intention was, because I know as adults, One big thing that really gets us frustrated and mad is when we have a thwarted intention. So it's like, it's like we try to do something nice and it blows up or we're just trying to be nice, but we're misunderstood. And it really is frustrating. It's like, I didn't mean to do it like that. And I see that happens with children all the time because they're just learning how to you know execute things and speak through their needs and I mean that's stuff we're just learning let's be honest
1: <laughs> um
0: but I do notice sometimes like give them a chance to explain why they were doing that and often it's not just that the youngest was trying to cause trouble she was actually trying to do something nice and the oldest just assumed that or it occurred some way right so anyway I love that you say that cuz that's often something it's, it's a miscommunication you know so um what was I just going to ask? Oh, yes. Um, I saw something recently. It might be a book title or maybe it was just a post title or something. I felt like it maybe it was a book, but it said, listen so that they talk. Mm-hmm. And I'm you said something similar to that in the beginning. And I would like to just, you know, s- talk about that, especially in adolescence, but with all children Why is listening so powerful more than talking and teaching and sharing and sort of being active? Why is that listening so powerful for kids?
1: I think because it makes us feel as if we're um, important in the world and and important even in our parents' lives. Um, I think that kids operate, all of us, I shouldn't say kids, it doesn't matter how old you are. We have some basic emotional needs that need that we want to have met and we use it through our behavior and those emotional needs are acceptance affection appreciation attention autonomy and connection and attention and connection deeply have everything to do with being seen and heard um, and you know it when you think back to your own childhood, how important it was if your you know parents were busy or whatever you just didn't feel like important or worthy if you you know th- and that doesn't mean that we have to you know stop what we're doing every moment of the day of course right but it has everything to do with again being attuned to your emotions and patient enough so that your children can come to you and feel heard whether they're 2 or 12 or 22 we have an innate need to feel connected, to feel listened to. Um, And it's just so important for parents unconsciously. So much of the time we project our agenda onto our kids rather than really give them space to develop into who they're meant to be.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's space, you know, And, and also uh, as you're saying that I'm thinking when I'm talking it, that's not what she wants. You know, like there's a time to talk and say like, this is what's going to happen tomorrow, or this is how we do things, you know, but they want to talk about something that's happened in their day, or they want to ask a question, or they want to share something random, a fact they learned or something maybe deeper. But if I'm talking, we're never getting to what they want to say. Mm -hmm. It's so, it's so simple in some ways we think we need to teach them to have that connection or, you know, for them to learn, but really, if we never let them come forward, then how do we know we're ever getting to the things that are going around in their mind that are important to them? Right. Exactly.
1: And again, everyone, everyone wants to be heard again for, for who they are and validated for that, you know, with their feelings and, and whatnot. And it's just, if you just. I mean, if you just give your kids the opportunity to share with you their thoughts, feelings and whatever, they're, they're fascinating, Mm -hmm. you know, like thinking about, you know, everyone had, you know, just holding again, holding space for kids to develop who they are. Plus, I think also there's a lot that goes on in our kids' heads that can continue to create worried feelings or big feelings or anxiety and getting it out of their heads, whether that's through talking or journaling or whatever creative expression they want to have, is so vital to them understanding and not just holding feelings in and, and that kind of thing. So knowing knowing you're important means that you felt heard by someone else. When someone hears you, okay, they took the time, they they had the energy to you know, actually listen to what I said. And when you reflect it back to them, then they really know. I mean, it's really important as a parent to be able to, even if you're like doing something else, I really try when I'm in my office and my daughter will come in and she needs to tell me something. And, you know, any parent, like if you're in the middle of something and you're just like, okay, just one second, just one second. And then, you know, either give up or they start behave, misbehaving in order to get your attention. It's a lot easier for me to stop what I'm doing for a second, address her, ask her what she needs and then go back to it. It's it's about practicing that though, mm. practicing that.
0: Mhm. Yeah, there's such a gray area that has no I don't think it has the one answer, but there's lots like that and I was just thinking about how So there's a time to sort of push them, like say someone wants to be like the next big hockey player or ballerina or whatever. There's a time when you're like, get up, it's 5am, it's time for practice. And they're like, I don't want to. And you're like, you, you know, there's a time to show them the way of the world in like, you know, hard work feels good to have, like to accomplish something, to get stronger, to, you know, pass the exam. So we need to sometimes sort of push them for lack of better words to get there. So there's times to kind of be that driving force in their life, but then there's more times I think to kind of take your hands off, but it's sometimes it's hard. So the example you're saying about the office, we have a rule that like, if mom's in her office with her door closed, don't go in there because often I'm with clients I'm with this. So Sometimes it's tough if they do, because I I don't want to mess them up. I don't want to be doing things that are going to be traumatizing them. And they're going to think (laughs) mom never had time for me. She was always in her office or something. But I also have boundaries, and like I'm imp- I'm in the middle of something really important for somebody else, or for a course I'm doing, or for whatever. You can't just come in to like ask if there's a bandaid. Like dad's out there, you know. So it, it's it's I find it's tough in all ways to balance. Like when is the time to be like strict and sort of like this is the line because kids do thrive with some sort of safety, with some sort of boundaries, with some sort of line, but mm-hmm. I'm also not here to be a drill sergeant. I'm like the least hardcore person ever as far as parenting and stuff like that. It's not intimidation isn't what I strive to, you know, as the parent to be or my, my force. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's a tough one to try to yeah. determine when to do what and how to have boundaries and self-love, but also not be messing them up and showing them, you know, love them or some big thing, you know,
1: <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. And I call that like the tightrope walk. When do you lean in? When do you, you know when do you lean in and maybe fix something when do you lean back and let natural consequences happen when do you hold your boundary when is it okay to and again i think that all has to go back to what you you know what you talk about teaching and that's you know intuition that intuitive development Mm -hmm. um and also it goes back to we're parents not perfect right if we notice that it you know. There is, I think one of the the most difficult things that I've seen in parenting is like, to go back to your hockey example, how much do we push? How much do we, you know, like, yes, you gotta, you know, sometimes I do agree that you go in at 5.30 and whatever, but if over a period of time, it is more you than this child, Mm -hmm. there's something, there's, there's, there's something to really visit there. Whose agenda is it, is my question, you know? There's a thing about, absolutely, you got to put structure in. And if you're going to be this, if you want this hockey thing, right, this, this, to move up and to advance, then these are the things that have to be done. But if this child is consistently showing you over time that that's not them and they're not showing up and it's more about you than them, Mm -hmm. it's time to revisit as a parent what, you know, what, what's really going on. You know, Mm -hmm. some people will say also, well, we signed you up for baseball, we paid all this money, so you're going to stick it out for this year Mm because you're part of a team and you're, you know, and I I do totally understand that. But again, if you've got a kid who's so anxious about going to baseball that they're literally like having a meltdown, Mm -hmm. you really have to, Okay, you just really have to, again, comes back to what's best for this particular child in this case. None of us wants to raise children that aren't accountable, that don't know the value of hard work. We all want children that know those things, but we also have to realize that each kid is a little bit different. And so deal with that accordingly and give yourself grace when maybe you have pushed too much or you you know, haven't set a boundary and just rework it because parenting is, is a whole you know, it's like a life journey of, of, um, moments of, of learning and discovery about yourself as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Definitely for sure. Especially, you know, women sort of like us and really wanting to advance themselves and move into those places of personal power. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm also still a mom and I'm still influencing all these other kids or like these children. Um, so it is, it's a big it's a big undertaking um, and something that I think is so neat to be conscious of and aware of and intentional, right? The way in which you parent, you're not just reactionary, you're intentional. And I think that's, it's so important. Um, So I have a question about when parents and let's just say moms um, or parents in general are noticing Troubling things in their children, or things that we judge as concerning the beginnings of things. I've talked recently, I've had clients that have shared their kids are starting to be more anxious, or starting to like obsessively pick something, or getting um, insecure about their bodies all of a sudden as they change. So not necessarily just like the drugs and alcohol, but those more those behavioral things where they're changing or there's something that, you know, you, as a parent, you want to check in and kind of go, what's going on, sweetie? Is this something we need to like help them with, love them through? Like, what do you think we can do when we start to notice, say, obsessive or anxious behavior in our kids and there's some sort of change and we want to jump in and rescue, but, you know, we want to also support them.
1: Well, I think like you said, it it starts with... having that conversation. I think also, um, I'll give you an example. We have, uh, every night we have something called the party, which is not a party, but as, as the traditional sense, but every evening at, um, 1030 or 11, we meet in my daughter's room. And at this point, it's only two kids, but it used to be more kids. Um, and we've been doing this for years and years, but My daughter has a salt lamp in her room and my fourth son, the only one home at this point, is the quietest kid that we have. But in there's something about the late evening, there's something about the salt lamp that helps them share what's on their heart at times and share their worries and stuff. So I think first and foremost, making sure that you have that one on one time with your child, whether, no matter what that looks like, the party really started because I used to go to each of their rooms and say goodnight. Right. And then the kids, some kids were older, younger, there's 17 year difference between two kids. So, um, you know, then it kind of got to a place where we were all kind of gathering in one room and the older kids were maybe sharing about what was going on in middle school for them. And the younger kids talked about elementary school or whatever, but I think it's important to have one-on-one time with your kids, but also have some kind of special time with your kids. Once in a while at dinner, my daughter Mia will say, I've got tea for the party, which is her saying like, I've got something really exciting that I wanna talk about at the party. So it's a tradition that we've really built that's beautiful. Um, I think also one one of the things you can do in addition to having that conversation is to say, how can I best support you? how can, here's what I'm seeing. I'm concerned about it. How can I best support you? And your child may not know right away the answer to that. They might not be like, oh yeah, mom, I just need you to take me to the pediatrician. I mean, like they may not know that. However, you could, to begin this, if you've never done it before, you could give them some choices. Again, I think choices are really important, right? So you go to your child and you're saying, I'm concerned. Here's what I'm seeing. Do you want to, you know, are you willing to share if they're willing to share? If not, say, well, either way, saying how can mom best support you in this? Mm -hmm. And then if they don't know, I, I think the older a child is, the more we need to give them some time to think about how you can support them. They may not know right away. My daughter has come back to me on occasion and been like, you know, when you asked me that, mom, I didn't know, but now this is what I need. And we talk about it then, Um, but, or to give them some choices, you know, it's a, it's a a challenge with their friend that they're going through or whatever, you know, how can mom best support you? I don't know. Well, I could listen. We could troubleshoot this together and talk, you know, talk back and forth. I think, I think it's really, it's really important to not avoid a conversation if you're concerned about your child. Um, I will tell you, one of the things that my parents did that was not helpful, they were worried about me in high school and they went and read my diary, which was not helpful.
0: <laughs> that happened to me as well.
1: And it felt it really, really deeply, you know, trust issues definitely mm-hmm. sprung from that. And I understand why they did it. However, it, it you know, I, I, it just, and that's kind of the same as like even reading our kids' text messages and stuff like that. I think you have to be very forthcoming with your kids about, it's not to say that you can't check their text messages. I just think parents need to be really clear to let their kids know Mm. because I love you, because this is a new method of communication. I didn't grow up like this. I'm going to be checking your phone here and there. It's that sneaky stuff that when you're tracking your kid and you're, you know, you diminish the level of trust, which creates disconnection and power struggles.
0: Mm.
1: So always being forthcoming, always taking the time or, you know, having that regular one-on-one date, maybe it's once a week. You know, again, we, we spend more time taking care of our kids and running them here, there, and everywhere than probably our parents did, right? Mm-hmm. However, we've got to be more effective with it. And we've got to be listening to them because they are communicating with us. We, just, we need to be clear with ourselves so that we can be available to them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think that's beautiful to say, like, how can I support you? And most kids, most of the time I would say go like, I don't know, but as you give them opportunity, like you said, and, and also just establishing that as being a new way that you handle things, even if every single time they go, I don't know the impact of constantly having someone say like, not constantly, but I'm here for you. How can I support you? Like that is a positive impact. So even if they want to say like I don't know, I just want space. Okay, you know that just shows like I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. And yeah. and you don't and have I to. I believe fix in
1: you. It. I believe in you to find. You know that that you can advocate for yourself. I believe mm-hmm. in you that um, when you're connected and when you think and feel this through, you'll be able to tell me how. Like I believe that you can tell me how to support you. I'm here. And I believe in your ability to know what you need and ask for that support.
0: Mm, yeah. It's interesting when like, I'm going through something where I witnessed something in my 11 year old. And I think a lot of parents can relate to this where Um, I want to help her through it. So basically just being transparent, she just puts a lot of pressure on herself to make everyone happy. And I see it in her and I see her like feeling bad if this happens or I don't want to do this because then someone will feel left out. It's like, sometimes I just, what I want to say is like, sweetie, you are doing such a good job. Like don't put so much pressure on yourself, but I feel like they don't always get that right. They don't, they don't have that perspective that we do. And the other day we were just in a casual moment driving. And I just told her, I said, you know, how much like everyone loves you and she's like what do you mean I said well I see the background you know I see what grandma says and what daddy says and like I I see the way everyone talks about you behind the scenes and we're all just so proud of you like you're just doing such a great job I just want you to know that we're just really excited about you and that was it right and I think sometimes those things help to compensate the feeling of like am I doing a good job am I letting everyone down but there are times where I I want to say like stop being so hard on yourself you are causing problems for yourself like this is the beginning of low self esteem and feeling inadequate like stop it but of course they don't know right so sometimes it's tough like how do we what would you say to that type of thing where we want to help them but they don't have the perspective we have yet
1: mm, yes i think um i think it's okay to be if it were me in in that moment i would be vulnerable in terms of saying you know, here's here's what I'm, I am first of all, again, I think that bringing things up like that when you're not in a situation, I love that you affirmed your daughter in these ways. And you're, you know, I think that I think that's taking those moments on a regular basis is is a wonderful thing to acknowledge her. Um, but then also, if, if, if you can really see this, just say, I'm curious what's behind, because sometimes it feels sometimes what I'm observing is. That you're more concerned about other people or that, you know, you don't feel that you're worth whatever the, the choices or, or I, you need to do something to please someone else. And talking to her about her self mm-hmm. sense of self and her self esteem is really important. I am not you know, it. we are parents are uber important in our kids lives, clearly, but we are not all of the influence that they have, right? Especially the older they get, there's friends, there's peer pressure, there's social media, there's things that they're seeing that we don't even know that they're seeing that are impacting who they feel they are. So always again, having, you know, taking the time to say, here's what I'm noticing in you. And it concerns me because I, I wonder whether or not you feel your, your, what you want to do is worth worthwhile. Or your choice in this is worthwhile. And I want to affirm you that it is, mm. that it is worthwhile. Um, so you know, I I, I wouldn't avoid having the conversation, but you also want to come at it from a place of love and connection as opposed to fear, which is just gonna break disconnection between the two of you. So mm. get clear and, and get through some of your fear before you bring it to her because mm. Your, what you fear most I mean we, I'm sure we've all known this like like sometimes what you fear the most you can create just by the mm-hmm. way you handle something so getting real clear with yourself what's what's this about for me what is it about me that I'm not my esteem is not you know because usually our kids are reflecting or mirroring back to us something in our own lives mm-hmm. as much as we may not want to hear that so, my question to you is where in your life are you lacking esteem or putting too much pressure on yourself
0: mm, yeah, I love that. I really think that that's I mean people are definitely mirrors to us and you know when you first said like about like my reaction to her feeling this way as I thought like I want to save you all the low self-esteem that I had that at you know in my 30s I had to like, scramble to find where I felt like Bambi finding her legs with self-love. Like I just, it was so not what I was used to practicing. And so I want to be a parent who, whose, whose kids get that they're loved and get that they're worth it. And so my agenda is like, you better know you're worth it. (laughs) But you know, that's the first thing is I feel like I want to save you this stuff, but I hear you. It's also a mirror of me currently. Why does that bother me? Why can I recognize it in her too? Right. And I think that that's something that comes up with kids is, often one of our kids or maybe a few of them are so much like us mm-hmm. that we try to interject with all the things that we learned because they're like, they're exactly like us. They're exactly yeah. like we were as a kid and we think you gotta, we know, right? You
1: gotta remember they're not your mini me. Yeah. I, my daughter triggers me in ways the boys never did, right? Mm. She's now almost 16 and I I have to you know I have, you know, for example, she's, we're on spring break and she went to a friend's house um, and, you know, I just, I, I think of myself at 16 and what I would have been doing. And, you know, you're just like, oh, please don't, you know, go down that. And and it's, it's, again, it's future tripping. It's not wanting your kids to, but they're not you. Hmm. My daughter is not me. Mm -hmm. I want to, to, I want to have better communication with her. There's some things that I have discussed with her that I went through as a teenager that um, my mom never discussed with me. Some situations that I got involved in where I knew were wrong or I knew I was in trouble, but nobody had ever talked to me about it. And so I didn't know. So I try to use those things to have conversations with her, not from a place of fear, but a place of you know like knowing if you're here's here's a situation that happened to me here's how my tummy felt here's how I felt on the inside if you ever feel like that or something like that know that that's your intuition you know trying to speak to you um i don't know you know it it, it like i said she because she's a girl because i can identify so well with like even if she's not she's not She is not exactly like me at all. I was way more girly than she is, but, um, just something about her in that age, there's such an attraction to me wanting to negate her having any of the same challenges that I had. I have to check myself. And Mm -hmm. I think I would, you know, that would be my advice to you as well. Again, Mm -hmm. you know, checking in, checking in with yourself on what, what's, the agenda where you're coming from and if you do need to say something coming from that place of love and not fear. Hmm.
0: I love that you said like almost like telling a story um, and that reminds me of something I've done as well where I've kind of gone like I'll even sometimes Like, be vulnerable and be like, Do you promise you won't say something? Or can I share something with you? And she'll be like, Yeah, totally. You know, and I'm like, One time when I was a kid and like some boy picked on me or something that she might be going through and that I feel like I just get her instead of intentionally projecting it, I'll sort of tell a story and I'll be like, And I learned this. And like, So I don't know if you can like relate to that at all. And she's going like, Yeah, I can relate. Right. But I'm just kind of playing it cool. And like, if you find that helps you, then cool. But just know, like, you know, I've had a, I've had a version of that before. So I've felt something like what you're feeling. Um, so if you ever need support, like just know I'm here for you and I'll kind of try to like, that's my tactic sometimes is like drop the wisdom, but be super cash. Like I want to just, yeah. you know, um, depending stories,
1: stories storytelling is a great, or a friend of mine went through this or, mm-hmm. you know, um, not that everything, you have to teach them everything through stories or they've got to know every. I mean, some parents have come to me and said like, okay, I use drugs as a kid. Like, I don't want my kid to use drugs. So how do I handle that? How much do I tell them? You know? Mm-hmm. And I, again, it comes down to being honest and vulnerable and knowing your kids and knowing, knowing what information would be useful to them you know, there's some, some teenagers, some parents just do not have good relationships with their teenagers. And they feel like if I admitted this, my kid would turn it against me and start smoking pot because, you know, I said I did. Right. That's, that's first of all, not the kind of relationship you want to have with your child. So let's build the connection with your teenager. Mm -hmm. And then you maybe can impart some wisdom, like you say, through stories, but you can't just drop this information on them, and if you don't have a good relationship with them, they may just turn that on you. you mm-hmm. Now, let's start with the connection. I think the greatest um, defense, if you will, we have with our kids who are going through adolescence is the quality of the relationship that we have and the connection that we have with them, mm-hmm. um, and that comes from a place of genuine. They know genuinely they are heard that we have their best interests at heart, that we are not just lecturing them, that we love them for who they are. And again, not who we need them to be for any reason for ourselves. Mm. I think that's just really key.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. Well, thank you so much. This has all been so helpful. And so um, I also have this thing where I sometimes feel alone in life. So sometimes just talking to other parents and hearing what you've been through. And it really continuously shows me like, okay, I'm not alone. And sometimes, you know, it takes a tribe, not just people hands on with your kids, but for all of us to gather and to share these stories and these things that, you know, that compassion and that, cause some days it's real where you're like, wow, I I think I just yelled at my kids and it's not even 8am. Or I, you know, mm-hmm. I did something I really, that wasn't cool. Or I felt so overwhelmed this morning or something. And it's neat to just talk to other parents and and to be able to connect around that. I like, you know, showing I I will be the first person, to my kids, <laughs> the other day, I said to them, I just want to acknowledge you. And they're like, what? I'm like for being with me the last like three, four hours. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, I've been having a day and I was not my highest self. And I thank you for just loving me anyway. They're like, we love you, mom. And so sometimes I'll do that just to call it out because I'll be walking around in a dark cloud for some reason for a little bit. So is there any last thing you want to share about if somebody is wanting to sort of make, turn the corner in being like an intentional parent, that whole conscious parenting, intentional parenting, what are the first few things we can do or the most important thing when we really want to embark and and develop that intentional parenting journey?
1: Um, Well, I can tell you how I started. And that was by, you know, connecting with some people who are very much have been doing the work or researching, parenting. Um, I, about the time that I, another really big awakening for me was um, my daughter went through a really major bout of anxiety at the end of third grade. And I happened to be watching Super Soul Sunday, Oprah Super Soul Sunday. And Dr. Shafali Sabari was on. And she's a clinical psychologist and an author um, from New York. And her book, The Conscious Parent, was a game changer for me. So I guess my, what I would say is if you're just now coming into this idea and wanting to really explore it, you know, look around and connect with some authors, some coaches, some bloggers that um, really resonate with you. There's a ton of people out there, right? And if I've, you know, I have a blog and I'm coming out with a book and I would love to, um, you know, continue to connect with any of your listeners that have found this interesting um, or relevant. Um, But yeah, just to educate yourself and continue to listen and get quiet and take the time to connect with what your inner voice is trying to say to you because we do have so much wisdom within us. Cause we are, I believe connected to the divine. So mm. I
0: would say, I love that. Thank you, Kim so much. That was a, such a great conversation. I know my listeners are going to love it. So, um, okay. when they want to connect with you, where's okay. the best place to find you? And when is your book coming out?
1: <laughs> well, <let's see. laughs> my book is in the editing process. and Woo-hoo! Yeah, I told you before we started recording that the title is Becoming Me While Raising You, A Mother's Journey to Self, and I hope to have it out this summer. It's in the, it's in the editing process. I have a book cover person that I've contracted with, so my goal is to have it out the summer of 2021. Um, people, if they want to connect with me, I would love, love, love to have you send me, um, contact me through my website, which is Real reallife.com. ParentGuide.com, or um, I'm on Facebook at real life parent guide and I'm an Instagram and uh, LinkedIn, but I just started Instagram. So I have, I'm doing videos every week and short stuff on parenting. So I would absolutely love to have some connection there. So.
0: Great. Thank you. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. So
1: I thank you too yeah. for the opportunity again to have this conversation.
0: You're so welcome. Hey love, I hope today's episode resonated deep with you. If you loved what you heard today, let me know on Facebook or Instagram at Talia Joy Manifestation. I love seeing the screenshots of you guys listening to the show as well as your big takeaways. For real, come hang out. I am so excited to expand my tribe and connect with you always. So until the next episode, sending you so much love and light. You are rocking it. You're exactly what the world needs.